excited today. People say, well, that's pretty fanatical. Oh, look what you do when the Dallas Cowboys play. You make a fool of yourself and don't even think about it. It's good to have joy in the house of God, isn't it? Amen. If you have uh, your Bibles, I hope you do. Don't sit down yet. We're going to read a verse. We're going to read a few of them. And I've got them right up here. And I want to minister to you today on something that uh, I I just think is so important. We started a series last week called um, Dealing with the Faith Busters that Come Against Us. The Faith Busters. And how David handled three um, troublesome faith busters, how he got victory over them. I'm getting a little bit of feedback here, guys. How he handled three troublesome faith busters. Last week I talked to you about the faith buster of when nobody believes in you. You believe that God put something in your heart or you're needing for people to believe your intent and nobody believes in you. Talked about that last week. Today, I want to talk about Mission Impossible. When you go up against impossible odds. And how many of you can say, life has dealt me an impossibility every once in a while at least. That's right. So let's read. Uh, Here is David. And he is, of course, um, facing the giant Goliath. And let's read what it says here. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. Now look at this giant. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. Think about wearing a coat that weighed 125 pounds. And how strong you have to be to do that. He also wore bronze leg armor. 
and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. He threw a spear that weighed 15 pounds. His armor-bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. <clears throat> I want you to see the size and the formidability of this giant. Father, we thank you for your word today and that through you and in you and by you we can overcome even impossibilities. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them it looks impossible, but it's not. <clears throat> Goliath was nine feet nine tall, nine inches tall, 125 pound coat, 16 pound spear, experienced in combat, and he was older than David. Now, I told you last week that David's father, Jesse, sent him to the battle lines, the battlefront, with some bread for his brothers. And I talked to you about how God moves in the ordinary, ordinary of our life. He moves when we don't think he's moving. God causes our steps to go in his direction when we're not even aware of it. Jesse thought he was sending his son to take bread to his brothers. But what he was actually doing was sending a giant killer to deliver Israel. Jesse was sending his son with bread. God was sending his servant to slay a giant. Very important. Now David gets there. And he is shocked at what is happening because all the armies of Israel are cowering at this giant. And he hears the giant speak. The giant steps forth every day for 40 days and taunts and mocks the armies of the living God. Now, David says, I will slay this giant. And he makes a statement of faith. And as soon as he makes the statement of faith, he is surrounded by people who do not believe in him. Not only Saul and his brother, but Goliath as well did not believe in him, did not take stock of what was in his heart. We're not aware of what was in this young man. By God, by God's grace, the odd makers were not betting on David. When David said, I'm going to slay that giant, Saul was saying, it's impossible. His brother attacked his motives. You're not here with the right motives, David. Goliath mocked his faith, and the circumstances opposed him, all of them. It was mission impossible. In the natural, it looked stupid, foolish, crazy, insane, presumptuous. You, a 17-year-old, ruddy complexion, a sheep herder, you're going to take down this Philistine, this giant, without even using modern technological weaponry? David said, I'm going to take him down. I'm going to bring him down. And we saw last week that in spite of what everybody thought about him or didn't think of him, he stepped forward, and he went from zero to hero in a day. 
He became a legend in his own time, in an hour. He brought down a giant that had taunted God's armies for 40 days and humiliated them. Now maybe today you're looking at a giant. Chances are many of you are looking right in the eye of a giant. And those around you are saying impossible. It's impossible. You can't do it. Circumstances are saying impossible. Friends are saying impossible. Your giant is even saying impossible. It can be a giant in the form of a habit, a giant in the form of a temptation, a giant in the form of a challenge. Something is facing you bigger than you, stronger than you, and in and of yourself, yeah, it's mission impossible. But not in God. Not in God. Now, i got a million-dollar question for you if everybody around you is saying impossible. Here's what you got to ask yourself when you're looking at an impossibility. What is God saying to you in your heart? What is God saying? Because what it really boils down to is what is God saying in the situation? Not what are people saying. People rattle and, and chatter and chat and gossip and go on and on forever in a day. It doesn't matter what they say. Because they're with you one day, gone the next. With you the next day, gone the next. You, know, you can't lean on the arm of flesh. It's like a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. Is people and the help of people. When it gets right down to it, what is God saying? What is God saying to you in your heart? One day, Jesus and his disciples encountered a father who had a child with a demon. The Bible says it was a demon. And the demon caused him to go into seizures. And these seizures would cause this child to throw himself into fire or throw himself into the water. It was a destructive demon trying to take his life, trying to kill him. And so this father was incredibly distressed, couldn't take his eye off the boy. Because at any given time, this demon would rise up and throw him into a fire. Can you imagine your child hurling himself into a fire? But that's what the Bible says he did. Whenever demonic activity is involved, there is self-destruction. And so here's this boy. And the disciples tried to cast it out, and they could not. And finally, they brought this boy to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him. He spoke to the demon spirit that was in the boy. He cast the demon spirit out immediately. And the disciples said, why couldn't we do that? What was wrong? They had faced a giant, a giant in the form of a demon spirit trying to kill a child. And when they faced the giant, though they tried, they couldn't bring him down. They said, what's wrong, Lord? We don't get it. Why couldn't we do it? And here was Jesus' answer. He said, because of your unbelief. That's why. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, teeny, tiny, but real faith, you will say to this mountain, to a mountain, to a giant, be removed and be cast into the sea, and it will move. And nothing, let me say it again, nothing, let me say it again, nothing will be impossible to you. If you have faith, 
Now, I, 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 want, I want you to get this. I want to share something real important with you today. When you're facing a giant, I want you to listen to what Jesus said. Giants are not removed by solving problems. Giants are removed by spiritual growth. Jesus didn't say, oh man, you guys didn't read your demon casting out manual. You need to go back to the manual and figure out how to cast them out and solve the problem. And Jesus brought it right down to what the real issue was. He said, it's not a matter of solving problems. You can't sit and psychoanalyze this boy. It's a matter of growing spiritually. He said, your problem is your faith. You need to grow spiritually. You do not bring giants down by solving problems. You bring them down by growing spiritually. Jesus didn't leave 12 highly trained problem solvers when he went into heaven. Did you know that? He left 12 spiritual giants to shake the world who had faith. They had faith. They had spiritual maturity. They'd followed the master everywhere he went. And they had grown spiritually. Peter, the fisherman, who had only fished all of his life, you read his epistles, you read First and Second Peter, and how can it possibly be these are the words of a former blue-collar fisherman, uneducated, because they are the words of a spiritual and intellectual giant. Where did he get it? He grew spiritually. Think about it. The Bible is not designed as a how-to-solve-life's-problems manual. That is not what this is. It is not, now it's got wisdom for life, and it will help you solve problems, but the real intent of the Word of God is to cause our faith to grow, is that we would grow spiritually, that we would cultivate our interior life and grow spiritually. This book is designed to build your faith in God. Jesus said you couldn't cast him out because your faith was lacking. He said, now, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, what's he telling them to do? He's saying, guys, grow spiritually. Get your faith growing. Get your faith cultivated. Get your faith built up. You want your faith stronger? Go home today and read the Word of God. Faith comes, is strengthened by, is increased by, is matured by, develops by reading, internalizing, meditating on, chewing on, thinking about the Word of God. Your faith today is as strong as you want it to be. Listen to what it says about Jesus. Or John the Baptist in Luke 180, it gives us a brief synopsis of John the Baptist's life as he was growing up. It gives it in one verse. It says, John the Baptist grew and became mighty in his spirit. In Luke 2.40, says the same thing about Jesus Christ. He grew and became mighty. Everybody say with me, mighty in spirit. Now, see, we live in a world that puts all emphasis on the exterior and none on the interior. If you're a Hollywood actress, you got to look like a pencil. There are women dying all over the world, all over America, because they're starving themselves to death to fit 
the mold they're being placed in by the culture. We focus on, major on, we glorify and we reward the exterior of people. But the Bible totally focuses on the interior life. I want you to catch this. It says that we are to be strong in our spirits. Strong in our spirits. Strong in our spirits. The Bible, when you open it up, it begins with creation. We see the creation of the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then we see the fall of man. And we see that when man fell, we became warped. We became skewed. We are not the way God intended us to be. I was born in sin, shaped in iniquity. The book that says, I'm okay, you're okay, is not okay. Because we're not okay. We need to be fixed because we were broken. When man fell, man was broken. We became skewed. We became a shadow of what God really intended for us to be. We're not normal as as God intended And that's why we needed a Savior. That's why we needed a Messiah. That's why we needed a healer. That's why we need to renew our minds with the Word of God. Because if we do not do it, we will remain skewed, twisted, uh, unfixed. Jesus came to fix what was broken. Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall. And so we come to Jesus and we say, I need to be fixed, obviously. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at our world and realize it needs to be fixed. Man is a beautiful creation of God. We can create. We can speak. We can communicate. We can build great buildings. We can do incredible things. And yet we murder. We kill. We steal. We destroy. We rape. We pillage. We war with each other. Something is wrong. And the Bible says it's because man fell. Man fell. That's why we preach a healing redeemer, because man fell and needs to be fixed. The soul within us became unplugged. As you read the Bible, this Bible that will change your thinking, that will renew your faith, strengthen your faith, In Genesis, early on, he begins to unveil his ultimate plan of redemption for man through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The Gospels come along, and the Gospels get us saved. We see Jesus healing the sick, raising the dead, dying for our sins, rising from the dead, ascending to heaven, pouring out his Spirit. In the book of Acts, we see the history of the early church. How it was built, how they preached, the messages they shared. But then we come to the epistles, Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Why are they there? They are there to make us mighty in spirit. Paul said, I'm longing for you, I'm praying for you, I'm interceding for you, that you would grow into the full maturity of the Son of God till Christ is formed in you. If your giant is too big for you today, don't rack your brains trying to solve it. Grow spiritually. Grow spiritually. I mean, hit the Word. Hit prayer. Spend time with God. 
Listen to what the Bible says. But you, beloved, turn to your neighbor and say, that means you. You, beloved, building yourselves up. Who's doing the building? You. Well, I hope you all stay with me in the next few weeks. Because when I get into this apprentice series, it's going to change your life. This is leading up to the apprentice series. It's going to change your life. You building yourselves up, yourself building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he didn't say, tell your mama to keep you in the love of God. Tell your preacher to keep you in the love of God. Tell some TV evangelist. No, he said, you keep yourself in the love of God. You build yourself up in your most holy faith. Ephesians 1 talks about you as a child of God having the spirit of wisdom. Hebrews says, you ought to be teachers by now. You should have grown up spiritually where you're teaching by now. 1 Peter 2 says, you ought to desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. The underlying tenor and theme of the epistles of the whole Bible is to bring spiritual growth. Everybody say with me, I've got a soul. Now, I have a cell phone here, and it's hot. That is, it's on. If it rings, I'm going to answer it. (laughs) I'm going to show you something. Here's a cell phone. You can see that it's lit up. A cell phone is called a cell phone because it's run by a cell, a battery. My cell phone, when it's fully charged, there's little four little bars at the top that tell me it's fully charged. And as it begins to go down, there's three bars, and then two bars, and then one bar. This phone is animated. It is made alive. It is viable. And it works because of a battery. You have a soul. That soul is eternal. This is not all there is. Your soul is what animates your body. Just like this phone. The only reason you're sitting there looking at me and nodding and smiling and thinking about what I'm saying is because you've got a soul in you. Jesus came to save that soul. God sent Christ so that your soul could be redeemed because it was lost. It was unplugged from the life of God, fellowship with God, walking with God, knowing God. Our souls were plunged into the dark. When you get saved, the life of God charges your battery and you come on. Are you with me? And you boop. And you say, I feel like I'm alive the first time in my life. Guess what? You are. Because until Jesus came into you, the battery was dead. You were dead men walking, dead women walking. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. You know what dead means in the Greek? Dead. (laughs) Just want to be sure that you're with me. You were dead in your sins. But when you got saved, you went, 
hallelujah, and you came alive. Because there's only one way to be plugged into the life of God. You don't get it by hugging a tree. You don't get it by sitting in a lotus position saying, Aum, all day long. You get it by Jesus Christ. There's only one name given among men whereby we might be saved. And that's the man, Jesus Christ. And the light came on. But watch this now. Here's what much of the church does not understand. Please hear me. Every night, Kathy will say to me, is my phone plugged in? Her cell phone, this phone. I said, let me check. She'll check. I check. Every night, it gets plugged in. You know why she says that? Because she knows it's very simple if you don't plug it in. Give it a day or two, it's going to die. We know you got to plug it in. We know. And my phone, her phone, when it gets down four bars, three bars, two bars, to one bar, it starts going boop, boop. What does it say? Charge me. Charge me. Charge me. I'm dying. Charge me. Now watch this. What people don't understand is once you have been saved, you got to charge the battery. you got to charge the battery. We, we don't understand. We don't understand soul care. Soul care. And so here's what happens to believers. You're going along, and all of a sudden, your soul starts complaining. Boo-boop. 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 You know what's, and you know how it manifests? That it needs time with God. It needs to be plugged in to the life source. It needs the Word. It needs prayer. It needs fellowship. It needs to be plugged in to, so, boo-boo, depression. Boo-boo, fear. Boo-boo, spiritual failure. Boo-boo, overwhelming temptation. Boo-boo, irritability. Boo-boo, lack of joy. Dropping peace. Boo boo. Feed me. Take care of me. If you know to do it with this, you neglect your soul to your own peril. I believe that the church in America is expert at getting people saved, but we're way down in teaching people soul care. Way down in teaching people soul care. <clears throat> I, I, I had already had this message ready. I run across an article in yesterday's paper. Here's one of the biggest churches in America. Bill Hybels, Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago. 20,000 people go there every weekend. They took a poll of the people. And here's what they found. Matter of fact, Pastor Hybels said the results were almost unbearable for me. Unbearable. To learn that almost a quarter of the people, 5,000 of them on a Sunday, were stalled in their spiritual growth, were unhappy in church, and thinking about leaving. He said, I was stunned. What's going on there? 
because they're not taking care of their souls. Their souls, listen, you can have all the activities in the world, but if you're not feeding your soul, boo-boop, 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 it will talk to you. It will let you know. And if you don't listen to that, you'll have a soul crash. A soul crash is when you just kind of freak out. You go into deep depression. You make terrible, stupid decisions. A soul crash is the result of ignoring the cries of your soul. I think this is why when Paris Hilton was thrown in jail, I'm being very serious here. Here's a woman, by all accounts, living in sin, living in the flesh, by her own admission, living this way. And when you got her into a place where she was solitary and silent and had to face her soul, she could not handle it. It was screaming at her to the level that she freaked out. She couldn't handle solitude because of the voice of her soul. In Rockwall, Pastor Steve Stroop, who has 12,000 people on any given Sunday, he found out that only 18% of 12,000 people were reading their Bible every day. 18%. And we wonder why a bunch of Christians are walking around, boo-boo, boo-boo, boo-boo. I'm afraid. I'm depressed. I'm confused. I've lost my joy. I've lost my vision. I don't know what it's all about anymore. I'm going to tell you something, church. What makes a giant a giant is what is or is not inside of you. Now let's get right down to it. Can I talk to you today? Watch this. Israel quaking in their tents was not a statement on Goliath's size. It was an indictment on their own inner weakness. Their interior life had been forsaken. They weren't built up in faith. David was. The only reason Goliath was the giant he was was because of what the armies of Israel weren't. A giant is relative to who's looking at it. A giant is a giant relative to who's staring at it. When the 12 spies went into the promised land, 10 of them came back and said, oh, we were like grasshoppers in their sights. They were huge. Two of them said, they ain't nothing. We'll whoop them and we'll take the land. What was the difference? That was the revised Wickwire, East Texas, Fort Worth paraphrase. What was the difference? The difference was the interior life. Two filled with faith saw victory over the giant. Ten who had not cultivated their inner life shrunk in front of them. David did not sit on the backside of the desert reading how to kill giants manuals. He got to know God and his power. Read the Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He calms and quiets my soul and restores me. David knew God. And because he knew God and had cultivated his interior life, when he saw that giant, he did not see what the rest of Israel saw. They saw somebody who would destroy them. David saw a giant that was coming down. Why? The strength of his interior life. 
Mm-mm-mm. Today's giant is tomorrow's dwarf. To the person growing spiritually. The giant looked big too today. I remember when me and Kathy first went to East Texas to start our first church. The, the, the whole building was smaller than this sanctuary. But boy, it looked huge to me. And I can remember saying, oh God, how are we going to do this? How is this going to happen? And this 10,000 square foot building just seemed like a giant to me. But day by day, week by week, year by year, we took it, finished it, built it, had a church of 500 people in a town of 1,300. And I left with a bear and a lion behind me. This building has already been 10 Quitmans. But you know what? I'm confident, not in me, but in the one who I know did it before. <clears throat> and whenever I begin to get nervous about it, boop, 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 I say, it's time for me to get into the Word and build up my faith and build myself up spiritually. It's time to get into the Word and grow spiritually. And when I do, this thing dwarfs. So here's real practical. You become a giant killer by strengthening and cultivating your interior life, your soul. Pay attention to your soul. Feed your soul. Minister to your own soul. Build yourself up in your faith. The Bible says, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night and night and day. That's intensive. And he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That means you don't have to go where water is. You got water under you all the time. His leaf shall not wither. And whatever he does, whatever he does, will prosper. Why? Because God says, when you feed and cultivate your interior life, I take care of the exterior. I take care of it. Oh, I'll tell you, church, we need this, and you just wait till we get into the Apprentice series. We're going to learn the difference between cultural Christianity and the real thing. Psalm 63, David says, my soul is thirsting for you. My flesh is longing for you. I need you, God. I want you. He had a longing for God. He fed his soul, and he became the man after God's own heart and took Israel to its zenith. David faced the faith buster of impossible odds, and he did it successfully by a healthy, vibrant interior life cultivated in the seedbed of growing faith and daily fellowship with God. I know my soul signals. I know what they are. You're down to two bars, Wickwire. One bar left, and then the energy's gone. You need to recharge the battery. What about you? I'll guarantee you, if you don't know, your spouse knows. Hey, the bars are low. Get with God. Come on, y'all. Your soul is you. It's the life force within you. Let's stand together, can we?
18% of people reading the Bible every day, charging their battery. 18%. Wow. How many of you know what you heard today is true? You know that? Take the time, take the time to replenish your soul. Father, I thank you that you have given us a soul and God, that you redeem that soul. But now, Lord, you have said to us, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You have said, build yourself up in the faith. You have said, keep yourself in the love of God. You have told us, Lord, to cultivate the interior life and that that's the key to outer success. So, Lord, help us to pay attention to our soul. I want you to take a minute say Lord it's a new year if there was any New Year's resolution I could possibly think of that would really do you good say Lord I resolve to pay attention to my soul to cultivate my soul would you take a minute and just talk to God about it Thank you, Lord.